Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and I'm excited to have Winter Mead, who's a founder and managing member of investment firm Coolwater Capital, uh, which focuses on emerging managers and technology investments. He's the author of the book, How to Raise a Venture Capital Fund. A big thanks to Michael Cordemon from Forum Venture uh, for the introduction. Welcome to the show, Winter. Thanks, Rohit. And uh, if Michael, you're listening, thank you for the introduction. Awesome. So, um, so you know, um, uh, I was just wondering, you know, how do you, how did you get your start in in this crazy world of venture capital? Yeah. So going back a few years now, I got lucky. So um, I was doing a grad program in graduate school program in England, studying innovation, and I had a professor there that was both um, a professor in England as well as the Bay Area. Yeah. And he gave me some advice that if I wanted to get my hands dirty and get involved in the technology world, that I should move to the Bay Area. So I kind of moved without a plan or an agenda. Uh, this is kind of <clears throat> 2009 timeframe. Um, so during the trenches of the, the last great recession right. uh, and had an opportunity to work for a few startups. <clears throat> so kind of took that opportunity, learned a lot about the startup world from the operating side. Um, and then the the lucky side kind of getting over to the buy side was the lucky opportunity getting over to the buy side was a friend who was working at a multi-family office. She was hiring for the private equity team. <clears throat> and so I went down that rabbit hole and interviewed and again was lucky to to get the role. And that kind of, you know, launched, I guess, what I'm a lot of what I'm doing now, kind of set the foundation for for understanding private equity, venture capital, other asset classes, you know, how the investment world works when it comes to venture capital. So um, yeah, not not fully straightforward, but it seems to have uh, worked out so far. Interesting. And, uh, you know, what, what gap did you notice when you were um, uh, an institutional uh, limited partner in a fund? Yeah, so a little bit of a longer story here. So the firm I joined initially, right, that I just alluded to, that firm had been built, right? So there are existing processes, uh, there are existing teams, there was an existing organizational structure, uh, there was a diligence process that had already been built. Um, and so I kind of went in and I was just doing the diligence process, um, the investing process, looking at opportunities, but not necessarily sourcing those opportunities, um, was underwriting those opportunities and playing a role kind of in the diligence process. But um, <clears throat> the next role I took was more helping build an investment strategy, right? So there are certain things that you can go into a company that exists and you're effectively an employee or you can go into a company as a co-founder or a builder, right? Or someone that's launching a new strategy. Right. And so the, the second investment firm I worked for, Sapphire Partners, um, was Sapphire Ventures, was SAP Ventures before that. Um, <clears throat> like when I joined, there was an opportunity to build a new investment strategy. And that investment strategy was investing into 
venture capital fund managers. And, you know, we dialed in the strategy at the time when I was there to really focus on hundred to 400, $500 million funds, right? So very much like a, let's focus on series A, B, um, and less focused on emerging managers at the time. Um, <clears throat> what I noticed was that gap, right? The institutional gap of if you're a placement agent or a broker dealer, right? Like, and you're taking on and kind of helping with the fundraising aspect for a manager, that manager is usually larger. It's 200 million target or above, right? If you are an institution, an institutional LP, and you're investing into the early stage world, um, right. you, again, usually have some bottom threshold, right? Some floor, whether it's 100 million or 50 million, so there were not a lot of institutions that really understood or focused, I won't say understood, I'd say focused on that part of the market. And so that felt like a gap from twofold, right? Like it's very hard if you're an emerging manager, you have to fundraise, you have to launch your firm, you have to launch your first fund, you have to get into market. Um, and a lot of, a lot of again, people weren't supporting that part of the market. And that felt like an opportunity to, to address. So that was the that was the initial gap. Got it. And 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 what skill sets do you uh, do you believe that you learned when you were working as a LP? The skill sets. I mean, so where did I sit as an LP? I think there's different skill sets you can learn. Like I'm assuming what you mean by limited partner is an investor on the buy side right. that has some discretionary capital. Right. And yeah. is and is kind of using that to invest into whatever they've deemed to be their strategy. So, right, there's a, a few skill sets that like I learned, but it could be different depending on like who you are as the LP. Right. Um, <clears throat> investment diligence, right? Like that is a skill set, building financial models, understanding like different aspects of the investment, like understanding how to manage different risks or assess different risks, right? I think that's really an investment skill set. Um, there's also, you know, in the at you know Sapphire Partners, there's also the skill set of building a fund of funds, right? right? So I was tasked with building a lot of the business processes, the diligence, the operational due diligence, the the processes that would get an investment done. That's more from like an operations and management perspective, right? So those those are skill sets like. If you just splice in, which I did, you know, in the first role, you're kind of taking over existing processes and you're executing on them. But for the second role, it was more like the process doesn't exist. How do we actually set up the process, iterate on it, make it efficient, and then execute on it, right? So I think you're learning a bit more of like the operations and eventually management skill set. Um, <clears throat> LPs build out teams, right? So they have to hire uh, associates, analysts, other people, and train those people um, and make those people hopefully effective investors as well. And so I think that's another skill set of just general people management. Um, and then I think the the other skill set was, <clears throat> this was probably learned more recently at Coolwater is just, you know, the skill set of being a, a founder, which kind of sounds weird. And maybe that's a controversial statement, but I think there's, you know, the operations, the management, the investing, like those are big functions that you have to do as an LP. I think the skill set of actually 
building something from scratch is kind of less appreciated when it comes to thinking about like, what are the core skill sets of an LP? And I, again, like, I think you have to <clears throat> iterate on a lot of things. You have to experiment with different things. And eventually, you know, you find something that works that hopefully has some modicum of product market fit. And that's kind of, I think, a, a skill set that I've also learned, but more recently as an LP. Got it. Interesting. And uh, and just wanted to follow up on on the uh, investment diligence, especially, you know, what, what has happened in the last three years uh, with COVID, mm -hmm. uh, the lot of founders uh, and investors who are meeting on Zoom calls, uh, and there's a lot of... Uh, discussions which are happening online how do what advice would you give to managers if they want to do uh you know investment diligence on founders whom they're not meeting face to face that's a tough one right i think the way the world works is when you're launching a fund right. most of your lps will know you in some capacity right so Yes, COVID changed how fundraising occurs for emerging managers, right. but I don't think the world has completely changed where I, I still think there's an element of shaking hands or high-fiving or whatever you do, right. but going to meet the LP if you're a GP. Um, <clears throat> and there's sometimes an expectation that the LP goes to meet the GP, right? They want to see what you're doing. Like there used to be you know, a trend of LPs. They would go to the office, right? Kind of see the office culture and meet additional people from the team and they'd you know, do an onsite at the, at the manager's um, headquarters. I think that's less true now. Like maybe that's still true for, for larger funds that, but I think for emerging managers, there's a lot of emerging managers that have taken to remote work or they don't have an office. Right. Um, and that's sometimes intentional, right. Because they're um, they have smaller budgets than larger funds and, you know, the, the rental of an office space, you know, as a line item for, um, for something that, you know, they could be hiring another analyst, right. To help them with deal flow or something. So there's those trade-offs that happen when you're an emerging manager. Um, I think, yeah, that's kind of led to a lot of emerging managers, you know, qualifying a lot more, I think on zoom and online and on calls. Um, I think that's a, a good thing, right? Like it's right. not a great feeling when you're being let on and then you, you know, fly to a certain city only to hear that like the LP wasn't actually that interested. Right. So I think, you know, using leveraging those tools um, and being, you know, direct as an emerging manager to kind of qualify as quickly and efficiently as possible and, and zoom and calls are efficient. Um, that's a really positive thing, but yeah, I, I don't think it has completely transformed yet. Um, I think there's there's an element of qualification there, but there's also like you need to show up in person, and I think that's been more true in 2023 than it's been you know over the last three years. Like it's really come back, and I've I've seen that in a, uh, a multitude of dimensions where you know there's you know days this year where I'm like quadruply booked. Like there's like four events happening on a single day, and that's happened a bunch of times this year already. And I think that means like, from my perspective that, you know, we're back, um, people want to do in person. Um, but again, like, you know, don't abandon these efficient methods of qualification that we've learned, you know, over COVID, but do recognize that you're not going to raise hundred percent of your fund via zoom calls. Hmm. Got it. Got it. Interesting. And, um, and, uh, you know, what is, what is 
uh, cool water capital, uh, a very cool name, but but how how you training emerging managers? I think you've you've held 175 funds, raised uh, more than 1.5 billion dollars over all the cohorts. Um, so just wanted to understand about what led you to build cool water capital. Yeah. So a couple of questions there. So I think what led me to build cool water was this acknowledgement of the gap, right? Who was being supported and who wasn't being supported. Right. So writing a $10 million check into a $500 million fund, while it can be interesting and it you know can even be lucrative, like it's what impact do you want to make on the ecosystem, on the innovation ecosystem here in the US and globally. And so <clears throat> I think it was acknowledging that gap that there wasn't a lot of support for emerging managers. And that led me to try to figure out a way to support them, right? So part of writing the book, part of the reason of writing the book, I wrote it in late 2018, How to Raise a Venture Capital Fund, was my observation as an institutional LP of what every VC needed to go to if they're gonna treat this craft with respect, right? And actually raise a fund full-time, right? Um, there wasn't anyone that was really supporting the emerging manager landscape in a significant way, right? We had launched this, I co-founded this hashtag, if that if that's even a thing, uh, hashtag OpenLP that started to aggregate some resources behind like, you know, what do LPs think, right? There's like in disparate parts of the, you know, the, the Twitter sphere. And so you know, that kind of started to aggregate some of the resources, but it wasn't enough. It still required like you'd what I was hearing is I talked to managers and like, yeah, <clears throat> I read about that. It was a single blog. I went over here. I read about that. There was no resource that like consolidated it all. Right. And you'd hear these common phrases of like, there's no playbook for building a fund. Right. right. And you would hear that from managers that started in 1990, 2000, 2010. Right. <clears throat> and this, you know, I was iterating on this concept since 2016 of like, well, if you are going to be the best coach possible to help a fund manager get into business as efficiently as possible, right? Like what would that look like? What would the manifestation of that be? And so I think, again, like it was acknowledging that there's this gap that did exist, right? And then, you know, if you get a lot of pitches, you're like, wow, this is great. Like this looks really good. But I think what a lot of like VCs has, have to acknowledge, like even if they see like a great startup, there's probably been a founder iterating on that for like one to three years or like four years at the seed, at like the first round of institutional capital. So I think that's a really interesting kind of dynamic that I was noticing. I was like, oh, if you're a, if you're a VC and a seed company, right? Like that seed founder has already been working on their concept for years sometimes by the time they raise like venture capital money. And that thing, I think that isn't like, that isn't talked about a lot, but that's the reality of it. And I kind of saw that other friends who are founders, right? They're like building something. They're like, I just want all the money like today. And you're like, well, you just started working on the concept. Like you don't have anything. Like if you build something, right? Then people can kind of like see, feel it, touch it, understand it. And then maybe like they recognize the power of it and can back it with like, they can back it financially. The same thing with an emerging manager. It was like, hey, you know, I'm chomping at the bit. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to raise like a $50 million fund and do it all. But like- what people didn't see was this multi-year journey of like figuring out your thesis, honing in your strategy, building your track record, building the relationships, building the trust, right? There was this multi-year journey and it was like, okay, who is actually supporting those people on that part of the journey? 
right? Who is the first round, like building the community, building the relationships, helping people at like the initial investment of the fund world, right? And actually supporting those funds early on, those full-time fund managers, right? Those full-time founders of technology companies. But in this case, it's like full-time founders of investment firms. What's the organization that helps them <clears throat> and trains them? and understands their challenges, right? And understands the timeline and can help splice in like very effectively, very efficiently, and has seen enough of the market to actually like provide perspective. Like I, I, I caution myself against saying like I'm giving advice because advice sometimes is very like one dimensional, like, but the way we try to say it is like, hey, I've actually seen this 10 times before. I've seen this strategy, this $25 million fund strategy, try to be launched like 10 times before. Maybe here's a couple of ways to think about it, right? Like you're, I'm intersecting with like incredible teams with very, very high potential that usually have a decent track record. It might not all be realized, but you know, these are people putting up 5X, 10X, 26X funds. Like these are smaller yeah. funds. And you know, I operate under the thesis that smaller funds outperform. But you have some really interesting funds putting up some really interesting numbers have proven themselves for a little bit so they have like a again like the beginnings of a solid track record who supports that person right and again the gap kind of re-acknowledging the gap in the institutional side was institutions would wait until fund three or fund four granted there's a few that are kind of dip a little bit earlier but the general dynamics, if you take a step back and you're not like in the day-to-day -day adventure, most institutions will wait until like a fund three, four, five, right? That's kind of the risk appetite of an institution. And so again, there was this, these performance dynamics of what's outperforming, right? You invest into venture for power law reasons. So you want to capture stuff early. You know, you look at smaller funds outperform, you have a lot of data behind first-time funds outperform. Um, maybe because they're smaller, um, maybe because their incentives are super aligned. Um, and then it's, you know, you look at the ecosystem and you say, there's not a lot of support there. Maybe Coolwater can step in and support. Right. Yeah, interesting. Uh, you made a couple of interesting points. One is like smaller funds outperform, but what, what would you call as a small fund? Up to 10 million, 25 million? Would that be the right sort of fund size for the first time manager to raise? Yeah, the data kind of buckets it, I think, mostly up to 100 million. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And um, in interestingly, you 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 run, you know, three different cohorts, explore, build, and CFO, uh, you know, can, can walk through, you know, what, why did you start Explore and what is it for? Yeah, just quickly. So they each play a distinct role in kind of the evolution of becoming a fund manager. I see. So if you're exploring becoming a fund manager, what should you do? <clears throat> and this was coming from, yeah, after Sapphire, I consulted with a few different firms and one of the unifying themes there was pulling together the track record, right? And so explore, like our take on it is, if you wanna become a fund manager ever, like if you wanna become an investor, like you need to hone the craft, but right. if you want to be institutional, there are certain things you need to put in place. And one of those, I'd say the most important one is a track record relevant to your strategy, right? And so right. explore is that. It's, do you want to build a track record? Do you want to consolidate your existing track record? Do you want to like 
put the pieces in place of that track record to kind of like lay the foundation to be a fund manager? If the answer is yes, then like Explore could be a fit for you. Um, that's why it exists. Um, why does Build exist? Build exists because again, like we've acknowledged that there's this gap with helping train emerging fund managers to understand these really important concepts around fund operations, fund management, fundraising, right? Like who is there to support the emerging manager on that journey to help them under, understand strategy, tactics, the know-how, right? A phrase that, again, another phrase that a lot of people like to use is like, you know, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'd, I'd like to know what I don't know, right? right? Um, and so like, how do you, how do you get to know what you don't know? right? You, there's some element of that education in there. And so the build program kind of it's education at the core, but it's very focused education around, Hey, we're intersecting with founders of investment firms. They need to learn really quickly, all the aspects of what it means to be a fund manager now. And we've seen that journey 175 plus times now, in addition to the 103 funds I've invested into over the last decade. Right. So we're kind of like compiling that information, that perspective, but trying to take a very practical approach, right? So, and I think that's a key distinction where like the reputation shouldn't be, <clears throat> this is fully institutional and therefore bureaucratic. It should be, this is institutional because that aligns incentives correctly, right? It's institutional because those are good business processes that allow you to operate more efficiently, right? Um, and I think it's practical because it's like, there's an evolution here. You don't need to have everything on day one, right? If you're building a house, you don't start with the roof, right? You kind of like, okay, let's think about like, we're going to build up these layers, right? You don't need to like do it all in one fell swoop, right? So build is for fund managers and it takes that institutional and practical approach, trying to like help people understand the different elements that they need to build, you know, what I think is a, a strong foundation for being a fund, a fund manager. And then lastly, yeah. what we noticed is like um, credit to uh, my friend Adam over at Emory, but this element of persistence, right, versus existential. So like if you think of build as existential, like you got to get off the ground, you got to raise the fund. Okay, now you're in business, right? The persistence of returns is what, right? Is that establishment of the brand? Right. And like, what are you doing? Like you get the fund off the ground. Now you actually have to run a business, right? It's kind of funny. Maybe you're, maybe the equivalent would be you're a, you're a company and all of a sudden you've raised like $5 million and you're like, whoa, okay. Now I got to hire, I got to do all these things. Like, how do I, how am I going to like, hopefully you've been like putting some of that in place and thinking about that before you raise the money. Um, but the idea is like, okay, now all of a sudden fund managers have been successful. They're in business. They've tackled the existential. Now they have to move on to the persistent, which is like, I actually have to build really good business processes. And this has to be like a strong company and a strong business and institutional business, right? So that's strategic CFO. And we noticed that gap. I wrote a second book last year um, that I'll probably publish at the end of this year or early next year, um, thinking about this concept of like, like, again, it's in support of the founders of investment firms. Like, what do they need to be the most successful? And why do I care about that? I care about that because like, how do you promote the innovation ecosystem? How do you deliver the most amount of impact to the innovation ecosystem, right? It comes through like, I think, finding people that are really good at supporting founders, that are really good at investing, 
that need to build strong businesses and cool water is kind of there in support of them. But like, this is kind of a boring program, right? It's like, Hey, we're going to build a robust back office for you and help you do that. Right. And uh, it's like, where do you go to understand that as an emerging manager? You probably don't have context on how most back offices are built or run. You probably don't have context on like how a hundred million dollar back office looks or a five hundred million dollar fund back office looks. And so you're kind of training yourself on the wrong best practices. Like you, you're not even close to being best practice. So what we've done is like again, like we've taken a year to build this program, and we've taken this approach. We've already run three cohorts. The idea is to like find not necessarily the founder VC that has to come through this program, they come through build, but the person they hire to be their COO or their controller or their CFO or their financial right. operations person, that is the person that we train, right? And that's very, very helpful based on feedback, very, very helpful to the founder VC. It's like, thanks, you're taking this off my plate, right? If you're a CEO of any company and you're hiring, what do you want? You want to become more efficient and effective yourself. You want to hire people that are going to give you operating leverage, right? So strategic CFO gives you an investment firm, like more operating leverage to focus more on investing, right? Focus more on fundraising, focus more on like the things that <clears throat> like are going to be relevant to you and your role as the founder um, and less relevant over time in terms of like running the ops and, and doing the back office and, you know, making sure everything's compliant. Cause like we can train that um, like we have seen that playbook a number of times and we've started to do that. So those are the three programs and they're, they're related, right? You build your track record, then you make this decision that you want to be a fund manager. You come in and launch your fund. You know, you understand everything related to being a fund manager. And then it's like, okay, now I'm off the ground. Where do I go from here? How do I scale up from here? How do I create operating leverage for myself? Strategic CFO. Got it. And, uh, you know, for, for, for the, uh, explore program is the ideal ICP uh, somebody who's already worked in a venture fund or could also be a founder and operator who's worked in a startup and now wants to build uh, their own fund? Anyone with potential okay. and access. Okay. So again, the build program is very opinionated. If you don't want to do this full time, if you don't want to be a fund manager, that's fine. That program is not for you, right? If you want to hold yourself accountable to results and to being institutional and like building a real business, right? Like it's similar to probably how you should think if you take on venture money, right? right? Like it's not option value. It's like a very large responsibility, right? So it's like that's build program. Like you've made that decision and that commitment personally and professionally. Explore, it's less opinionated. It's kind of saying like, hey, great investors can come from anywhere. You don't need to be institutional to be a great investor. But you know, if you're not doing it full-time, if you're doing it on the side, if you're thinking about it, right? Like I'm going to build up this track record, but I'm not necessarily going to um, be a fund manager in the next few years, then like, but I need to like build perspective and like be in a community of people that are right? Like co-investing together and helping me think through like my own investment strategy, my own investment process, right? That's a different type of community. It's, it's like, it's when you sign up for build, it's like, yes, I'm going to launch a fund. Like I've thought long and hard about this and I, I want to do this. And, you know, 
the truth is not everyone might kind of raise a fund out of build. Um, <clears throat> we also take like team risk. Like if there's a team trying to figure out kind of, hey, like I'm <clears throat> two or three people, not sure if like we want to raise a fund together, like they can come into build, but like they've set the intention on like, hey, we're like one of us, if not all of us are going to do this. And then sometimes they go and raise the fund as the two or three person team. Sometimes they split up and they raise like, you know, respective funds. Um, or sometimes one person says, actually, I'm more of an operator. I'm going to go back to operating. The other person says, well, I love VC and I'm going to go raise the fund. So that's all three of those have happened through build. <clears throat> um, so we'll take early team risk and we'll be able to kind of like watch those teams and kind of, right, they're going through kind of this hard knocks version of understanding if they want to be like a long-term team. Um, and those I think are good to do early on, right? Right. Like that type of exercise, probably a good thing to figure out if like, you know, you're not a fit for your partner in six or 12 months, then in like five to 10 years, right. It's much easier on your LPs that way. Um, right. for explore again, less opinionated. It's like, Hey, you know, you're some scientist or technologist or professor or someone else that's doing something super interesting that's impacting mankind. Awesome. Like you want to learn how to invest. You want to build your track record. Cool. We've got this community that can help you do that. Right. And we're going to support you right through this community structure. But again, it's going to be <clears throat> education, but less education training, but less training and more focus on like, can you build a a track record, right? Like, is this even warranted, right? And again, I don't know if there's enough testing, pressure testing in the market today, right? Where you seem to have like general consensus from LPs, but you don't actually have pressure testing of like, are those opportunities things that actually make money, right? And like, if, if the VC is a certain type of um, structure, right? Like you want to return in 10 to 12 years, like <clears throat> what does that? What industries do that? What types of companies, what business models, what ecosystems, right? And a lot of people don't have that data. Cool Water has some of that, a lot of that data, right? To understand like, okay, this is an interesting investment ecosystem that we should be thinking about or a new theme we should be thinking about. And most of our stuff is early stage, right? So we're looking to intersect with people, be super supportive of them, but like also not say like everyone needs to be a fund manager, right? Because I think a lot of LPs and a lot of people would ask, why does the world need another fund manager? And some people would pessimistically say it doesn't, right? And other people would more moderately say, you know, we still need good fund managers, <clears throat> right? That's the camp I'm in. Um, and so I think like thinking through again, like what are these challenges that the this part of the ecosystem faces? Understanding how to build a track record, getting the flow, right? Like building a good investment process honing your investment discretion. These are all things I think are important for the early stage ecosystem. And I, I don't see a ton of communities or a ton of leaders really like supporting that part of the market. Mm, got it, got it. Super, super interesting. And you, you talked about themes, you know, so what do you see as themes relevant in the market today for emerging managers? Everything that your audience has already heard, right? So the, the strategy, like given we've worked with so many funds, like we're generalists, okay. right? But what boils up to the top <clears throat> are certain themes, right? But these are themes like you would expect, like the high level theme would be climate. Right. The high level theme would be DEI and ESG and impact. Um, like the, the high level theme would be energy transition. Um, right. Like maybe, maybe that's within climate. 
the high level theme would be like AI, but there's, you know, dozens and dozens of categories underneath that, right? And you could adjust your strategy and be super focused, right? Maybe you're on infrastructure, maybe you're on applications, maybe you're on like some vertical focus or a couple of like vertical focuses, foci. Like, so there's like, the strategy can take a different form, right? So I think it's more important uh, with LPs to think about the thesis, like, why are you doing it? Okay, so you're taking that approach to AI, why? Like, why is that approach going to be the big market opportunity, right? And so I think that's kind of the level that cool water tries to play is at the thesis level. But like, if you think of all the themes, like it's everything your audience has already heard. Um, but it's like what the, the important piece and the nuance is like, okay, great. I know that technology exists. And the fun part is when at cool water, we actually see something that's new. It's a new, a new like venture model, um, like a, a new way of putting the, a portfolio construction of like putting the fund together um, to generate returns. That's really interesting. We we do see that, but you know, a lot of the time it's like, hey, we're going to do enterprise, but this is our take. This is our thesis around it. This is our approach to it. This is how we think the strategy is going to work, but we're going to be a little bit open-minded around it. Um, but we've iterated on this already with, you know, 10 or 15 companies uh, through our investment, like our early track record. And I think like we're seeing a lot of really good traction here, right? So I think we're more looking for GPs that have, again, built that track record that have like a strong, at least initial hypothesis on what's going to generate and create value for their strategy and less focused on like the top-down theme. Although again, like we will, we will cover all of the, all of the themes. An example of that is, you know, we got invited to put on this, help put on this retail tech event. Um, maybe you can call it a small conference. And so what did we do? We went and we looked at our ecosystem and we said, okay, how many, how many GPs focus on retail tech, right? And we have this data. It's 25 GPs of the 175 focus on retail tech. We said, okay, that's interesting. How many of the companies across not only the 25, but everyone like focus on retail tech? There's 137, right? So again, it's like kind of a one-off email. Hey, you think you could help help us put together this retail tech event, right? That's just one of like many, many, many themes. And it's kind of specialized, right? Like I don't even know if 10 years ago that really existed as a theme, but now everything that has a word, like has the word tech after it and it like becomes a theme. So it's, but then you look at it and if you, again, manage your data in the appropriate way, you can kind of get to like really interesting insights really quickly. It's like, oh, look at that, like 43 funds, right? 25 super focused on this, 43 have done at least one investment in it, 137 like companies in kind of the accelerator portfolio um, are like explicitly saying this is like the technology they're building is focused on the retail category. Right. And that's only that's only like one one event. And so I think as we think about like what is cool water, right? It is generalist, but there are these themes. And like when you kind of double click on some of the themes, like they become like very robust and very rich very quickly. Right. And then you can like look into understanding, like in the retail world, for example, again, like what are the technologies that are actually persisting? What are the business models that are actually working? <clears throat> like again, like how are those companies scaling really quickly? I think that's an interesting element. To what we're uh, what we're building. Correct, and uh, and how how do you think is the market different 
uh, today than you know two years ago. Uh, do you see a lot of difference for emerging <laughs> managers today? What are you talking about? <laughs> the market's different today than it was two years ago. Yeah. Um, I kid. Uh, <clears throat> so the market is different today than it was two years ago. Um, it's been going through this gradual shift over time. Um, 2020, 2021, even 2022, given kind of like the layover effects from 2021 were exceptional. It really felt like the market started to shift, I'd say May of 2022. I think personally, that's when it, like I kind of started to feel it. And it's been <clears throat> kind of bouncing around, generally down, about bouncing around. Like in the last few months, it's, it's felt like it's the sentiment starting to, to turn around um, a little bit, barring kind of certain, certain macro events. Um, but the, the, if you're asking a few dimensions, like the fundraising market is harder. But like, you know, if I've been around for 13, 14 years, like in this business, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's harder than in the past, right? Like there's always been, right? Like this gap that I started noticing in 2016, like it was really hard to raise a fund. Like it's still really hard to raise a fund. I think the expectation of how hard it was changed in 2020 and 2021, right? And the type of person that would go out, right? They're more, if you're right, like if you're thinking about the risk curve, the risk spectrum, like, you know, risk averse versus risk seeking, right? There was just like more risk averse people because of the market that were jumping in and raising a fund, right? So you had just like more fund formation because of like how people kind of internalize and externalize like their, their risk behavior. Um, I think that that's kind of changed, right? So where I've seen it from the cool water seat is there's actually fewer spin outs, right? Because you actually value your role at a VC firm more now than you did in 2021, right? Like you're usually more risk averse if you're at a VC firm to start. Like if you're really risk seeking, you're a founder, right? And like I'd say VCs are more risk averse. They're spreading out their bets. They're diversifying. You've got this like well-paying job. Like you're probably less and like the fundraising is going to be harder and like your target is going to be smaller and like your fundraising timeline is going to be extended. Like again, like your behavior, you're probably going to entrench back into that part of the risk curve where you're like more risk averse. So I, I see I see that more happening. I see actually no change. Might even be more operators that are kind of like saying, "Oh, I actually want to raise a fund now." And that again, like that might be um, kind of the bias in my data and kind of what I'm seeing. Um, but I am seeing a lot of like founders who've been successful. Like those people seem to be overweighted in 2023, where it was like kind of a mix of one third spin outs, one third operators, one third kind of other background, right? Not necessarily like you worked at a VC backed technology company that was successful. You've you know got some points on the board, probably as an angel, and now you're ready to like raise your fund. That's the other like the operator. And then the other background is just like you're, you've been doing something different that isn't in like one of those first two categories. In this market, it feels like you know almost two thirds are like operators. Right. So you have fewer people kind of coming from other backgrounds, kind of saying, like, oh, I can raise a fund. Right. Like it's more like you're more um, kind of closely connected to the venture ecosystem. And you're like, okay, I've been doing this for a while. I'm kind of more of a known entity. Now I'm ready to like, you know, hang my own shingle. I think I can do it now. 
there's more and like I have some success, so I'm going to raise on the and I have like again like more risk seeking behavior than risk aversion. That type of person seems to be um, more interested in cool water now to launch in terms of launching their fund. Um, so yeah, like the behavior has definitely changed. And then some other interesting data, maybe maybe not. Um, just in terms of like the data of the target fund size, right? So we get a few hundred applications uh, every three, four, five months. Um, and we look at that and, you know, one of the data points, I'm just going to give one data point that we have is like, what's the target fund size, right? The median target fund size for the funds that are applying to launch their funds, which is effectively, right? Like fund ones. In 2021, can you guess what the number is? $50 million. Uh -huh. Like that's kind of the median, right? In 2023, it's 20, right? So it's it's compressed, right? So the target, so the expectations have changed, which might be a good thing. Um, but, you know, and a lot of people were kind of meeting or exceeding their target in 2021. Um, not saying everyone was raising $50 million, but like that was kind of like for the people that thought cool water, I want to be an institutional fund manager, like that's where they were. Their expectations have been reset, right? Just two years later. Um, and then in terms of the fundraising market, yeah, like the, the fundraising market has has changed. And again, I think if we can kind of put LPs on that, I was just putting the GPs on like the risk spectrum, we could put LPs on that risk spectrum as well. So it's like risk on versus risk off, right? And so they're more kind of bending towards risk off now. And, you know, there's a few dynamics playing out there. Um, primarily, I think in this market, it's the attractiveness of other assets. It's the wanting to wait out kind of the volatility and the uncertainty because they you know, another two or three quarters, and this could be like a much better buy opportunity. And if you're thinking about it longer term, right, like you're seeing that behavior. Um, so you are seeing like risk off when it comes to like net new LP commitments into blind pools. Um, <clears throat> but there's still a lot of interest in like VC. And then there's a lot of talk <clears throat> and sometimes implementation of strategies that are, um, that are that are just like available in a market like today's market, right? So a lot more discussion around liquidity at the fund level, secondaries, right? There's, um, if you think about it, there's probably fewer companies in terms of new companies being formed, yeah. right? Because those dollars that could have been reserved for new companies, because you're raising a two and a half X times like fund size, like those, those companies aren't being formed now. And like your portfolio construction, I'd argue has changed as well, where more dollars are going to reserves and are going to like protecting existing assets that are going into like new company formation, right? So yeah, I think the fundraising market has changed. Some of the investment dynamics have definitely changed. Portfolio construction is starting to like change as well as a reaction to the market. Um, and like you need to protect your companies and these companies aren't always, you know, the success stories aren't always like straight up to the right. Um, so I, I do think like generally, you know, there's a lot of things that have changed in just, yeah, two short years. Um, one more comment I'll make is I kind of look at this, I think in terms of how it's changing, seems to change every six months, right? I'm curious if like people listen to this and want to push back on that, or they have a, a different perspective there, but it seems like there's like meaningful change every six months, um, just in terms of sentiment, behavior, kind of how people are reacting to the general market. Um, so it'll be interesting, you know, what, uh, what Q1 2024 holds. Interesting, uh, really interesting insights. Uh, I, I just quickly want to do the top three. What's a favorite business book? 
how to raise a venture capital fund. Um, uh, my favorite favorite business book. Um, I think it's probably Brad Feld's Venture Deals. Like right. I know it's a pretty obvious one, but um, I read it super early on and gave me like this. Um, I, I did a little bit of research after the fact and kind of realized that again, like, you know, tech could be broader and more global. And so living in San Francisco for 12 years, like there was this opportunity, I thought to, to understand other markets. So I think it was, it was a good book just written, but it was like more influential on kind of how I treated exploring other investment opportunities across the U.S. and more globally. And, and uh, you know, if you could go back in time when you started with Cool Water Capital, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? I would say... I don't know. It's like I I kind of respect the evolution of how it how it's played out. Um, I think there are some firms I didn't take a chance on that were like I viewed as a little bit higher risk or something. Um, I think I would have taken more chances on people, right, and trusted my gut a little bit more. Um, where. You sometimes, if you don't catch them with cool water at like fun one and be supportive at fun one, then they kind of miss the ability to like join the community and at fun two or fun three, they think they're too late. This isn't necessarily true. Like you can join at fun two and fun three as well. But yeah, there's certain certain funds, like I won't name them by names, but they've they've been like very successful, like in just, you know, a few short years. Um, and I I would have given them like a, a, an opportunity to join, even though I was being, I think, a bit more hardlined around the strategy of like who gets accepted. But I, in my gut, I knew they were good. Um, mm -hmm. They just didn't fit into like a mold. And so I think I've tried to change that behavior like and evolve like over the last few cohorts. Um, the other thing is we do uh, like this demo day now, like this big nice. summit. We had, we just did it in New York and we had say 167 people, I think, um, signed up and committed. So it was a, a, a bigger event, it wasn't a huge event, but the amount of demand for that was probably three or 400 people. Right. And so again, like I kind of knew it that we should have been doing a demo day from the first cohort, but we only layered that in like three cohorts ago. Um, and we've done seven cohorts. So we kind of went for this period of time where I was like, well, why do we need to, we don't need to do things that other people are doing just because other people do them, right? That's not really my style. Like, um, I think, you know, but again, if the market is asking for it, who cares what I think, right? Like you kind of care about like supporting the market and the emerging managers. And if like, that's what they need as a mechanism, right? Then Coolwater's role should be helping them figure that out, right? Okay. And I think I've, kind of gotten off the high horse of being like, Hey, I think this is how it should work. And more kind of now that, especially the community is more engaged and I built stronger relationships with these managers. Like I just have a much more free form flow of conversation and feedback loops. Right. And so in the beginning it was like, Hey, this is how it should be done. Like I think, and now it's like, Hey, we've got this great community, right? Like people that 
really trust each other, right? And and I can kind of go to them and say like, hey, testing out this idea, right? Like, and I can crowdsource from you know fifty different people, fifty different perspectives, really really quickly, and kind of say, okay, this is going to be valuable for the emerging manager ecosystem, right? It doesn't matter what I think anymore, like right. single handedly. It's like, what does the community need? Let me right. build that. Mm. Interesting. And and do you have any favorite online tools, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Um, I think the, I run zero inbox. So being able to like kick emails out <clears throat> to when I think they're supposed to be addressed, like that's a really helpful, helpful feature. Um, uh, we're playing with some more like CRM management systems these days. Um, the, the ability to run, like if you track data correctly, like analytics and Airtable, been playing with a lot recently. I think that's that's helpful. Um, like the the Chat GPT stuff has been immense. Like especially right. some of the, like the paid subscriptions for, you know, effectively running a smaller business. Like there is is definitely traction there. That's like just the people that I work with, like on the team. They're just more effective in the last six months than they've ever been. Um, <clears throat> so I think that like just being realistic around like what it does and doesn't do and maybe having a couple of subscriptions so you can kind of like test them off of each other um, to make sure like the data you're getting back is accurate. Um, like those have been kind of, I think, game changing and kind of leading, I think, to faster feedback cycles for for what we're building. Got it. And, and lastly, you know, uh, you uh, just want to give a heads up about uh, the recruiting that you're doing for for the build and CFO cohort. Uh, just wanted, wanted you know, the listeners to know uh, about uh, the, uh, you know, uh, the recruiting that you're doing for these cohorts. Yeah. So again, if you're a fund manager and you're interested in launching or scaling a fund one or fund two and you're sub hundred million, you can be anywhere on earth. Um, you know, and you think you're doing something interesting. You have a thesis developed, you've got the first inklings of a strategy. Um, you've been kind of testing or iterating on your hypothesis, right. And that can be treated as the track record. If that kind of fits you, then you absolutely should reach out. Um, Right, like we all look at everything that's, you know, submitted, um, and you you can reach me, you know, on X, LinkedIn, or you know, shoot shoot me a, a, an email. Our our website's coolwatercap.com, and then for the strategic CFO program, this is in partnership with my CFO and friend Dave Parrots, who runs the Fund CXO. So. You should reach out to either of us, but again, feel free to reach out to me. And this is probably you've raised a fund, you've hired that first person, your chief of staff, your COO, your financial operations associate, whatever you want to call them. You're usually like your right-hand person. Like you hire that person. This program is for that person, right? And it's to make you run your firm more effectively. So again, reach out and we'll happy to share like more materials on like how it works in more detail, but again, love, 
talking to people about this stuff. And, you know, again, I think the people that are reaching out are usually the more aligned and passionate ones anyhow. So look forward to connecting. Sure, and I probably will put that in the show notes. Uh, Winter, thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thanks, Rohit. Appreciate it. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.